that people it helps end the stigma and bias towards addict and real addicts and realize that we're just human beings we're sick people trying to get well not bad people trying to get good we don't suffer from a moral deficiency we suffer from a, a mental health deadly disease and welcome to none of your business podcast where we bring you inspiring storytelling from the heart i'm your host robert delude thank you for joining me today now let the show begin Guys, I'm doing some one-on-one coaching. Just for my podcast and my own experiences, I built up a toolkit that has transformed my life, and I know it can benefit others. So go over to Instagram at Robert Lude or at None of Your Business and send me a DM. And if you guys want some amazing candy, then go over to Sweet Spicy on Instagram and get some bomb candy. And also go over to www.eastcoasttags.com and get yourself some merch from East Coast Tags. Michelle, she is amazing. She gets hats, hoodies, whatever you want. Go over, check her out. And now, guys, here's my man Levi. Now let enjoy the episode. All right, and we're recording. So what's up, Levi? We're on the None of Your Business podcast. Finally get to do this. Um, A good friend introduced us, so I'm glad. Thank you for your time and coming on. So who are you and what do you do? Well, hey, man, it's good to see you too. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's beautiful how paths cross in this this domain of recovery and and addiction. Um, I'm a a single dad. I'm I'm just a regular guy and um, and I'm in recovery from substance abuse myself. And I, uh, I've i t- took it upon myself to do as much as I can to advocate for for people. I, I call them the, vo- the voiceless people because I didn't have a voice growing up. And, um, and addicts were the throwaway people. Like, if you think about it, they do like parades for endangered species or for diabetes, but no one even acknowledges that addicts are alive. Like no one's cared. And so I've made it my duty to make people care and for us to be heard because we deserve just as much love and compassion and acknowledgement as anybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you said that you're in recovery. Well, I know that, but for the listeners, you say that you're in recovery. Like what did your life look like before you got clean? Um, from childhood or just right before? <laughs> you know, let's do, let's start, you know, like why do you think you're an addict or why are you an addict? because um i can't do one of anything i always got to do more um i've learned the disease of addiction isn't about drugs drugs are merely a symptom um so i my little saying is like from pussy to bubble gum i want more like i don't have one of anything and so that's that's how i do it man i don't know how to moderate yeah so what did your life look like before you started using so my childhood was great, minus some traumas I went through, and they weren't due to family; they were due to, to teachers at school. Um, beautiful, loving family. Um, I just, but I felt out of place. I felt different, you know. You hear that a lot in the recovery world. Um, I, I just didn't know how to deal with who I didn't know I was, and then um, that led to my dad dying in a random car wreck, and um, that was a terrible experience. And then, because I didn't use or drink nothing until after my dad died. And um, 
and I ended up working in a bar because he ran a poker game, and so I thought being the man of the house, you um, you take care of the family. So I'm going to high school, running a poker game at night at 17 years old, and um, and the guys at the bar, everybody loved my dad. He was a great community member. He treated everybody with love and dignity and respect, and so the guys made it their pact to take care of me. And what that meant to them was just keep me in eyesight and make me a part of the party. And so um, that's what led down, I mean, one thing led to another, and from alcohol to um, cocaine from a, a terrible experience in Mexico to Oxycontin because I lived with some of the football players back in 2000 and, and because of their injuries, they were prescribed Oxycontin and that's how that whole, whole fucking disaster started. So I was abusing cocaine and Oxycontin and at the end of the road, um, they say you can't, you can't get high. Like you take the drug, but you can't get that high no more. And that was true for me. No matter how much I used, I couldn't get that original feeling. And I, um, and I would OD, I would use till I overdosed because then I would, cause I was trying to get high and I, and I wanted to die. I was tired of the life that I was living. I was a disappointment, a disgrace to my father that passed away. I didn't feel I deserved any forgiveness and, um, it'd be better off if I did the fucking world a favor and just left. And, um, and so I would wake up failing at failing. And so that compounded the fucking guilt and shame. And um, because I was trying to experiment, I hated seeing the next morning and Coke would keep you up all night. And so when I'd hear the birds tweet, I would just cringe. And um, so I'd start using Oxy to go to sleep, but I didn't, you can't mix uppers and downers. And I learned that the hard way with overdoses. And, um, and so, but I kept practicing on myself till I figured out the perfect timing. So seven minutes after I finished all the Coke, I could start using Oxy without overdosing and then I could go to sleep or at least not out. Okay, man, you know, when I was using, like I tried so hard to fucking overdose because I just I was had so much guilt, shame, whatever, but I couldn't. I had fucking, people told me I had a tolerance of a horse and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Just give me more drugs because I'm just so sick and tired of feeling like fucking shit. Like I'm not good enough. Like it doesn't matter what I do. I'll come over, I'll be the nicest fucking person I can be and give you drugs and shove drugs up your nose to feel validation, but I just never was enough. Yeah, you know? like back when I did my using day, um, I made an unbelievable amount of money doing coke. And um, so I, I paid for the parties no matter where he went. I'd cover the bar tabs, whatever. They were, so 700 was usually the minimum of the night. And, um, yeah. and then, yeah, so at the end of the road, because even drug dealers were like, dude, you're fucking out of control. Um, we don't want you around. You brought too much heat. Like, you're just a fucking disaster. And I'm like, dude, I pay cash. Why the fuck are you telling me no? Like, that's, I didn't understand. And then all the people that were in my life, like, stay the fuck away from me. You're like, you're just, you're nothing but bad news. And when, like, I hung out with some bikers, and when those type of people were telling me, get the fuck away, I knew, man, maybe something's going on here. And uh, so I ended up alone and isolated, like you hear most addicts by themselves. I had all my doors, um, like, Pops shut with like a chair, you know, to keep them from people coming in. All my windows covered with um, towels, everything just blacked out. And I had one little gap underneath the front door that I would just stare at, just using just stare at that thing, assuming someone's going to come. And when right. I built the courage to go snatch the door open, I'm like, man, that's a fast motherfucker. And, uh, <laughs> and I realized it was my fucking shadow, you know, yeah. yeah. off the goddamn door. <laughs> and yeah, and so I didn't eat. At the end, I wasn't eating because um, at that point, I mean, you lose your job, you lose everything. So I'm just sitting there. 
and I would drink Powerade because I knew you needed um, some sort of water. Like, and I'm like, okay, Powerade has electrolytes, so that's beneficial. And I would take multivitamins because I'm like, you just get vitamins and minerals for food. So that was what I ate <laughs> to stay alive. And, um, I understand the thinking. Yeah. And so you don't use the bathroom often when that's all you're doing because usually you sweat on, on stimulants. And so that's what I was doing. But at, there's one point when I was like, man, I can smell myself and I need to use the bathroom. And I had gotten rid of all reflective anything in my home because I, I hated the person I'd see in reflections. And um, But I didn't get rid of the mirror in the bathroom because I'd barely use it. And that last... That last day I went there, I um, I looked in the mirror and I was around 121 pounds, and mm-hmm. I'm five foot eleven and a half and weigh 200 pounds now, so being 80 pounds less, I mean, you, I was a skeletal wreck of a man, um, and I was like, I'm gonna fucking die, I'm, I'm like, dude, and I was like, I, I I'm dying, like oh. I'm dying right now, and uh, and I lived next door to my mom, and at the end of my rope, I had to trade myself for drugs, and so. I would, this, if this person come over, um, that whatever would happen would happen. And then they would charge me for the drugs that I just traded my like, And so I'm losing on top of losing. And then the drugs they sold me was 90%. And so I'm doing bunk and I didn't, and I continued like again and again in hopes of getting that high of hopes of something feeling different. And all while knowing that I have to go through these acts and do this terrible shit that was against everything of who I was to then pay for baking soda, more or less. Yeah, I get that. You know, when I was uh, homeless in Vegas in 2018, uh, a pimp next door, uh, like two days before I got down there, like busted down the door to the house that we were staying in. So the front door did not lock. Um, And we would take like this piece of plywood, fucking like two by four, I mean, and like jam it under the fucking uh, door. So like your chair, but like if you blow on the stick or the piece of wood, it would just fucking fall over. So there was no security at all, but we felt safe as long as that stick was up there. The visual of it there was like good enough to, to, yeah. Yeah, and like going on, like the neighborhood that we live in in Vegas was the second dangerous neighborhood in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, the gunshots going off and i thought like those were fireworks and then they're like you shouldn't go outside after dark yeah like it's just the insanity um and like i think i would like think that i like would fucking hear people in the house oh, yeah. and just like fucking like run to the garage and, like where the fuck do they go and just like freaking yeah. the fuck out but yeah, you know now paranoia. Fuck paranoia. <sighs> unbelievable yeah yeah so now you know how long have you been sober now levi uh, so I originally got clean in 2005, and again, um, I went to, so my brother and I, like, rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to tell mom that we need to go to treatment, because he was living with me, but he wasn't there very often, and yeah. um, and he won the goddamn rock, paper, scissors, and I'm like, I'm older, I've been paying for everything, you got to tell mom, and, um, <laughs> it, and like, it isn't like it, no, everybody already knew at this point, they yeah. tried to do little interventional type of procedures <laughs> in hopes of us getting clean, and then... Oh, five went there and um, my brother went to treatment a week earlier. <clears throat> the last week I was just crying because my only friend left on the earth was gone. And he's my brother, my best friend. And um, and so I ended up in treatment a week later in Great Falls at Rocky Mountain Treatment Center. And um, I remember walking into that place and all I felt was relief. And I was finally safe and it was finally fucking over. And um, 
relapses, long story short, relapses and all that stuff later because I didn't listen to the suggestions. I didn't, I was still afraid. I couldn't read when I got to treatment. I, I couldn't talk in front of people like in, a, in this type of, in this setting or like in a positive setting at the bar I could. And um, because I was using usually. And um, so yeah, I didn't know how to. And uh, so my new clean day, just because there's a whole story between this and my new, is April 1st, 2014. So um, I've been in recovery for 16 years, but I have six years of clean time consistent. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I get that. Like, I get that. Um, congrats. So now that you're in recovery, you say that you're the voice for the voiceless. So what do you do with that? Um, I don't take no for an answer. I, uh, what does that look I've like? Seen, I've seen some problems in our community, <clears throat> excuse me, in Missoula. And um, like, we don't have... a sustainable recovery center like a place where meetings are held and, and people can go to be safe they want to stay clean the place we have we learn to be grateful for what we have and so i'm happy there's something but it's not enough and i know missoula is a beautiful amazing supportive community and i'm like well why don't we get the community together to help these people because i know missoula cares and um and so i went to the chamber of commerce where i know kim latrell because i do me and her daughter dated in high school and um i'm like dude we need help like what what can be done like can the and she um started getting me into she had me speak at this big um it's called the state of missoula and uh i got to speak with some pretty some people i looked up that were on the top of their hierarchies and um and that's when things changed and i realized i can make a difference because people listen and um and all i did was tell my truth because the thing about addiction and recovery is um People just see addicts, but what I see is like, that's someone's dad, that's someone's uncle, that's someone's mom, that's someone's son, that's someone's niece, you know? They're not addicts, they're a human being. And um, and they didn't deserve to die, they deserve to be recognized. Cause I was, I had love, like I said, but I didn't know how to accept the love was available. And I figured it was my duty as a human being that intrinsically we need to help one another. And so I, I gained the ability to stay clean um, I learned how to read. I went to college. I've done some cool things, and um, I realized I can maybe I can make a difference. You know, the worst thing they can say is no, which leaves us where we are, which isn't wasn't the worst. And the best thing that can happen is they say yes and we move forward, and that started happening. And so I, I've been asked to speak all over because I they, people tell me I make a difference, and what I say is is powerful and and poignant, and it matters. And um, so I've given voices to people that wish they could say some or so they could be recognized. And, and I, I'm hoping that the community comes together and we get a better recovery center. I hope that people, it helps end the stigma and bias towards addicts and, real, addicts and realize that we're just human beings. We're sick people trying to get well, not bad people trying to get good. We don't suffer from a moral deficiency. We suffer from a, a mental health deadly disease. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I'm surprised that like Helena, I'm not Helena, fuck, Missoula doesn't have like a better, not better recovery center, but yeah, a, better recovery center, that's a great answer. Like the, the truth needs to be said. That's the difference not between you and I, but that I tell the goddamn truth it, it, very clear as possible because <laughs> like people get stuck up on, oh, it's good enough for this. And that. No, it's not. If it was good enough, people would be have easier access to treatment. People would be taken care of more. There wouldn't be all these people dying and hurting each other out there. 
And so you're right. Like it's, it's surprising that we're like one of the best, biggest communities and biggest cities in the state next to Billings. And we, we had like the least amount of resources for people that need, that need recovery. Yeah. Like fucking Helena, like it's a small ass fucking town. There's over a hundred fucking meetings for another uh, recovery program. And they have like something like we have here. And then on the other side of fucking town, they have something similar of like what you want to do, what you want to have. And like, I went to the place across town because I didn't want to fucking die. Because if I walked into the room for my first fucking time, I was like, fuck this. This is what recovery looks like. Fuck this. So I, I won't. Yeah, no, we, it's definitely important. Um, so instead of talking about like the fucking nasty bullshit shit about how recovery rooms look like, that's my fault. Um, what are some beautiful things you get to experience in recovery? Here's a, you and I as a great example of that. Um, Amen. people and building these beautiful relationships and, um, that are meaningful. They're like, not just like that acquaintance relationship or that, Oh, passerby or friend quote unquote relationship in recovery. I've see, I tried, I don't, I try not to say we, I try to speak from my experience and um, I've got to learn how to be vulnerable and that I'm not defined by my past and that by being able to express and articulate that vulnerability to other people, they can feel safe and comfortable enough to um, feel that they will be heard and not judged and hurt. And, um, and I believe each of us have our own individual way of carrying the message of recovery. And due to that, um, people get to feel safe. Like I said, like my ability and all the pain I went through and fear I had and not ever being heard and being scared to speak, I assume that other people um, have felt that way. And so I treat them with the love and compassion and dignity that I wish that was available to me. And that seems to have been, it seems to be beneficial. So where people do get to feel safe and they do get a, to, to try to be vulnerable or say they need help or even just be heard. Most people just want to fucking be heard, man. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we all go through struggles. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict. It doesn't matter if you're race, sexual orientation, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Like we all go through struggles, but we can overcome them. And using your vulnerability as a superpower instead of like kryptonite is a fucking game changer. Yeah, it's it took fucking... a lot of years to learn that um, because they say the disease of addiction talks to you um, and talks to you in your own voice. And so I had this like, it's like a, a good angel and a bad angel. And the, the voice of the disease of addiction was so loud and powerful. I believed it until some, what was cool is enough people believed in me and because I never believed in myself, but I could believe in them believing in me. And I used that to like take safe risks and, and, and they've worked out. I've made many mistakes and, and still gotten afraid. But the beautiful thing about recovery, because you'd asked about what are the great things is these people never gave up, man. They still, they're like, man, that looks like it was painful. Let's try something else. Or, hey, man, try again. Keep coming back. Hey, dude, it doesn't matter how many times you need to learn this lesson. Um, we'll be here until you learn it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, That's pretty right. cool. Fuck yeah. You know, like, you're, uh, you're going to school now, right? Yeah, this is the second time I've gotten to go back, and I'm really excited for that. Yeah, and what are you what are you going to school for? I'm going to. Um, there's a new program at the university, the Chemical Addiction Studies, and they have a um, a two year like fast paced course to get you your licensed addiction counseling degree or certificate. I mean, um, and 
everybody's like, man, you should go to school to be a counselor. Oh, you should go to school to, to do all this recovery stuff because I've always done it like for free. I, I just, it's important to be a voice. Like I would take time off work. It didn't matter what it took or the expense it was financially for me because it was more important to carry this message and, and make people be heard than it was to, um, than it, than the money mattered. And so I don't exactly want to be a one-on-one -on -one addictions counselor, but I want to be able to work with groups of people and, and especially, um, younger people, adolescents and such. And, um, and like younger adults to um, help them because I feel I relate most to them. And uh, and I wanna go where I have the least amount of bias. It's the least amount of stigma that I project because we all have a little bit and I don't want to, I wanna I want to go where I feel I can do the most good. But, so it's, talking about the stigma, like I'm right now in my recovery where I'm at, like I no longer want to identify as an addict or an alcoholic. I don't want to do that. Like I know that I have a problem with drugs and like if I use or drink, like I'm fucking done. I understand that. But with self-affirmations telling myself that I am an addict and I, like that just for me will go to the negative side. Yeah. So, and I, I hear That's a big dilemma that I, I hear a lot of people struggle with in my um, suggestion to them. So the reason why the, my interpretation of the reason why we continue to repeat I'm an addict named Levi um, is because I don't want to forget. Like it's a way to identify it. And again, in the beginning, it's important that we we feel like we belong. And when you're in a mm -hmm. people that um that all acknowledge this fact that we're addicts struggling with the disease of addiction, we're no longer alone. And it and it's an equalizer. Like no one's better than or less than, and we're all here for the same purpose to, to, to maintain recovery and stay clean. Um, what I suggest to people when they come up to that, because I believe that that's true. I believe what you say is hundred percent valid. Um, a, a good way that I've, what I've suggested and what I've heard done is people say, I'm, I'm a recovering addict. So then they've changed that whole tone and that it's put a positive spin on a negative connotation. Like you'd mentioned that you experience. Mm -hmm. I never so, even thought about it like that. Because the way that works is like, again, because I believe that if I don't identify like that, people right. won't know that I'm available for help. Mm -hmm. like they'll just think I'm a guy and not that that's bad, but because of where I'm at in my domain and the direction I'm taking my life, it's important that people know that, that uh, who I am in that area, because um, it's, it's scary to ask for help. Yeah. That fuck. No shit. Like it is. Good point, huh? Yeah, I appreciate that, that we that you often say, huh? And when we talk, I love that. Like, I have something to bring to your life that's positive, because all I used to bring to people's life was negativity and pain, misery, and suffering. And so, like one of the books you gotta you gotta interview Don Miguel Ruiz's son, and in his book, um, I believe heavily in the Four Agreements. I believe the Four Agreements is like a cliff note version of the Twelve Steps. Really, I think that it's all twelve steps put into four. And um, what is so important about it is you can use your words for good and change the world for the better, or you can use them for bad and destroy everything because like the white magic and black magic, man, the, mm -hmm. you said you can manifest amazing stuff with positivity or you can manifest devastating results with negativity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like side note, kind of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. He works in a recovery center. That's awesome. Yeah, down in Nevada, which I did not know that until I interviewed him. I'm like, oh, that's fucking, that's rad. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, um, 
it's amazing how there's see a lot of people get stuck on there's only one way to recover and i don't believe that at all um i believe that there's many different ways to maintain recovery and many tools and why would anybody limit themselves to one domain of, of a set of ideals when there's a million of great things out there like you speak a lot about that in your podcast about different um different like self-help things different people that have different views on things and all those combined give you this amazing opportunity to better yourself because the more tools the better like it it can't be denied like two heads are better than one that's why the recovery group is a very powerful vessel for carrying the message of recovery absolutely yeah now i if I didn't know somebody who was in recovery the first time I went to treatment in 2013, I would have went back to Helena from Billings and fucking used. But I knew somebody, and there was something in his eye that I wanted. I didn't fucking know what it was, but I knew what he looked like when he was in the midst of his fucking alcoholism and addiction. And when I saw him three years sober, I was like, I want what you have. And he fucking spoon-fed me my sobriety, fucking taught me how to cook, taught me how to lift fucking was my boss was my roommate literally fucking like it was a codependent relationship or like to the max but it saved my fucking life yeah yeah and that's that's, that's great that's, i think it's important to be pointed out like you mentioned that um that this guy had what i wanted and and all it was at least the way i took it all it was was he he seemed happier or like it, it didn't matter what he had he like you saw like a peace in a in a serenity in his demeanor and um that's what i believe like i i didn't have that experience um i just went to meetings because i was told to and, yeah. uh, and so but when i found someone when i finally got the courage to talk to somebody um yeah they had what i realized it was the first one of the first persons i chose to like guide me in the recovery process was um i hated him in the meetings i'm like i hate this guy and he speaks so well and he's got all this beautiful stuff to say and he's so, he's so at peace and what the fuck's the deal why does he have that and I don't? And so I didn't like him. And when I really thought deeply about it, I was like, it isn't that I don't like this guy. It's like I'm jealous. And he does have what I want. What I was, the hatred was for myself because I was too afraid to ask him. I was too afraid to be like, hey, man, how do you do that? Or, hey, will you help me? Um, and so, and I, and I think that's a pretty regular experience for a lot of people in recovery is their insecurities are projected onto someone else. And usually the insecurity in my experience is, I desire something you have, but I don't, I'm too afraid to, to know how to, to achieve it, get it or ask for help. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. That's, when I was in fucking school, I never asked for help because I was afraid to look fucking stupid. Yeah. yeah. I was afraid of rejection or I look stupid or fucking be vulnerable and ask for help because I, I know all the answers. I fucking know all the answers. I run my life so fucking well. I overdose and end up in the ICU. That's how well I run my fucking life. Yeah. So why ask for help? See, I, I like that point. A lot of people speak of that in, in the recovery world as um, their best thinking got them there. Uh, and so it's, it's important to acknowledge that. I think it's really, it takes a lot of humility to be like, hey, man, this is what my ideas got me into. So please help me. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's really great. So do you have a morning routine? I do not. That's a big struggle for me um, as a single parent and um, in the life that I've just reestablished with going to school yeah. and such um, routine has been a very challenging, um, I don't know, goal to attain because, mm-hmm. uh, because 
things come up like and i know i could probably work with them but um i if i stay up late studying my morning hours change so i'm asleep in for another hour if possible. yeah yeah and then it throws out everything what i try to stay consistent at is um cooking breakfast for me and my daughter and um and being available when she's up like i try to I used to set the bar high and be like, I just failed. So fuck it all. I'm just going to quit. I'm not worth it. And then all that negative speaking and negative self-talk come into play instead of looking at the couple of good things I do. So I'm like, Hey man, I, I really struggle at this. What can I do to make it better? Well, I, I can commit to this. Okay. I can, I can make breakfast. Does it matter what time? No. So long as it gets made and, and we get to eat because I believe breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Consistency with food like that, I, I believe is unbelievably important because you hear a lot of people not eat then they have anxiety and then they have depression and stuff and if you break it down um it's because i haven't eaten anything and you need fats and calories and and carbohydrates and proteins like to, to get through your day your brain needs that to run and function appropriately yeah and so, no i don't and quick answer no i don't have a morning routine i'm sorry i didn't mean to take it down no no that's like fuck you're being honest like you know you're going to fucking school but you are you try and stay consistent like and that's okay like nobody's fucking perfect like i'm not perfect by any means um so talking about nobody's perfect well kind of not really this is just the word perfect if you could wake up anywhere and do anything there was no COVID 19 you it was just what it was in 2019 um, before COVID. So you could just wake up and experience the perfect day. What would that day look like? To me, like if I like my perfect life, or what I think what, what I would really love to for my life to look like, is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, I would. Um, so I live in an apartment, and I'm grateful to have a home. Um, I would love to wake up at a house with a yard. I mean, I don't, it doesn't need to be a match. I, I would love to have a house in the yard for my dogs and my daughter and um, wake up at a consistent time. I think that's important. Uh, make breakfast if I could, and then get my daughter to school, um, then go to the gym. Because I used to have a consistent structure in the morning, and, it, and that's what it looked like. And it, that's when I was doing the best. And then that would, but it would continue to um, going to do whatever it is that I wanted to do for a job. And my dream is to build a recovery center where all the resources are also available. So anybody that walks in the door looking for help, they're like wrapped up and they're walked through the process to get help, to get into treatment. Cause usually people need treatment. I go through that and have this beautiful place where people are safe and it would be, it would include the treatment center. And that would include an entire step down program, the treatment center to live out, to live out and get a job. <clears throat> all while like maintaining a recovery process and um, having a safe place to, to touch base with. And um, then they'd go live out on their own if if that, that came to fruition. And um, all, way, all while having this recovery center available for them to come back to because it's safe. And until they felt comfortable enough to live on their own with their own structure. That's, and me being a part of that process and helping people discover that they can do that, that's my dream. And then obviously with my daughter in it and doing whatever we like to do. We like to hike and stuff. It'd be cool to like take a vacation now and then. And then my afternoon consists of being around someone or people I love and that love me in return. And um, and being able to like have a cool little family. I think that would be really neat. It was just my daughter and I. And um, and yeah, and then going to bed at a 
the normal at the same time every night. Like having that structure, like you mentioned, like it would be nice to because I know how beneficial it is to my life. Yeah. Well, usually my follow-up question after that is, well, what's stopping you? But I know that you're working towards that. Yeah, I'm finally taking the risk to, to do that. And the reason I got into school, like, I kind of, I didn't want to go to school because I, this is, and I don't, it's not that my, it's not that my ideas are wrong in this, but I, I thought it was so important to give away what was so give, freely given to me for free that I didn't or shouldn't be paid for it. And so uh, I've, it's been, it's taken a lot of support and a lot of reinforcement and a lot of encouragement for people to bring me to the, like, to the level of understanding that I can do what I love, which is help people in the process of recovery and, and earn a paycheck to do so. And so that's why I'm like, like, like you mentioned, I'm taking the steps to head that direction and, um, in hopes of doing that. That's awesome. That's fucking awesome. Levi. So what is like something that you're passionate about? that most people don't know about you and my entire life revolves around this like this is i love this like i love it but that's why i think it's so neat that i might be able to do it as a job is like it's so meaningful that it fills my cup except for in in certain situations where i struggle with um with 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 small expectations that devastate me like we talked about prior to this and um and so yeah i um my something I loved, I loved racing motocross. So before my dad died, we raced motocross and um, I missed that. When I was younger, I also played um, paintball and tournament and tournament paintball. And I loved that um, things that I also love writing poetry. I wish I could get back into that and put that into a structure. Um, I had a poem published like in seventh grade somewhere. And that was really cool. Mm -hmm. I love poetry because it, to me, it's the expression of feelings that people usually can't put into words. And they can do it in such a beautifully eloquent story or poem that um that everybody can understand that feeling because I believe poetry is an expression of feelings and the words just help you get to those feelings and uh, yeah that's what those are the things I love to do I love hiking I love to do much more of that the backcountry hiking it's scary to me because it's new but it's the only place where I feel a connection with a power greater than myself um, I call the forest the place where the, there's no time because there's no clock like you're you're in the now and i love that um but other than that I, what people don't know about me is though i mean those are i live such a transparent life that i found simplicity is the most beautiful part of it and so there's like no mystery behind anything wild like those are the, the fun things i love to do and i'd love to re um reinvest in those i love that what's something that you're grateful for right now in your life I'll always be grateful that I get the opportunity to be um, present in my daughter's life. That's awesome. Yeah, her mom left when she was eight months old, and it's only been her and I for 13 years. And at first, I really was upset with her mom. And I realized, again, there was a jealousy there. It's hard work. I'm like, man, I have to do this by myself. I didn't know how. But I realized because of, again, the recovery process that's like answered every question I've ever had is, um, she's an addict and she's sick and it's my job to make the the fellowship and the meetings and the environment of recovery feel better for her to feel safe to participate in and that's my hope is that she gets to, to do that one day and that my daughter gets the opportunity to meet her mom in hopes of she gets to do it before her mom dies due to the disease of addiction 
And um, yeah, that's the, that's what I'm grateful for. And I'm grateful for building relationships like we got and that I have with, with people that are close to me in recovery. And the coolest thing that I'm most proud of is um, I get to speak with at events and um, conferences with doctors and um, and people at the at the highest level of their domain. And um, that's the first time I felt like I was good enough. And so that's been like such a neat experience for me. It's fucking awesome. It's been cool. That's way cool. All those things are fucking awesome. Well, thank so, you. That means a lot, man. You're welcome. Are you a Netflix watcher? I don't watch TV. It's boring to me, and I don't have the time. So the Fair most TV I watch, like uh, my daughter, there's some shows we watch, and when I'm cooking dinner and um, or washing dishes, that's when we watch TV together. And so um, I get a little bit of that. I just um, isn't that I don't have the time. TV isn't a priority in my life. Yeah, I've got homework be a dad, take care of dogs, do chores, make sure the house is, is a place where it feels like home and, um, and recovery and all the things I do for the recovery community. So I don't give myself the opportunity, I guess, to watch TV. That's it's okay. I just, um, when there's some things that come up that like, if they're small and they're not like a, a two year series of, of shows, I usually can find the time to watch them when they're like a one episode or one um, topic, like, show i guess per se whatever you call it yeah no for sure for sure i get what you mean so i got a couple last questions for you Levi. if people want to find you on the internet and just reach out to you where can they go um i would just i don't know man, that's a hard question i don't really like social media but i keep it on for that exact reason um if people ever like i've got to experience a lot of beautiful events due to people being able to reach out on social media but like search for my facebook i guess the best thing to do is find my email or ask around to get my phone number because i'll answer it i mean i might not answer it right away i'll listen to a message but a text message i'll answer i've never not stopped my life and this isn't this isn't like a braggadocio look at me it's a i believe people deserve time and so if someone reaches out for help I do everything in my power to give them every resource I have in hopes of them being able to make the, the, the choice to believe in themselves enough to give themselves the opportunity to recover. And so I, I don't know, I, there's not like a quick, I don't have a, a link to get to me. I just have a hope you find me and my number's available and I'll do everything possible to help you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love it. So what is your message to the world? Um, that we, everybody's deserving of love, that we all, all deserve that chance to be heard and that we all have the opportunity to grow. And I believe that addicts are the most amazing, intuitive, out of the box thinking people. They're just incredible. If they're clean and given a direction that they can, they can do anything, man. People can do anything. The littlest bit of hope. My message is if you, if you support someone the teeniest bit and you don't know what that is, you can change the world. Like everybody can change the world. And, um, and I think that's so important. You don't know whose hero you are, you know, like that's why I feel it's so important to walk with integrity that, that you might be the only message of recovery someone sees. So your behavior is so important. It's important that I live what I speak here. It's important that, that what I say I do because, um, or else it would be done in vain. It would be like a sin. 
I love it. Well, thank you, Levi. I appreciate your time. Yeah, dude, it's been an honor. I'm super excited. I was never, I never thought I'd be given the opportunity to to be on a podcast. I think they're so cool, and I really appreciate you taking the risk and allowing me to to carry whatever message I hope people heard, which is they're worth it. And please give yourself a chance. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you. I uh, I know I gained some value out of it. So my listeners out there. Um, I just learned today that Canada is my biggest audience. So shout out to Canada. Yeah, I love Canada because my hero. Okay, here's a quick one for you. And I was in a dark place because of something I was going through, and um, I believe in a higher power, and not, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe things are all kind of they happen because they should. Um, I stumbled upon, um, like my YouTube is. I mean, there's an algorithm that shows you things that you're interested in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this random Jordan Peterson fucking it showed up on my, um, like what you may want to watch kind of suggested things. And I was like, fuck I'm like, Annalise, are you really fucking with my YouTube? I had this algorithm. I don't need this shit all messed up, <laughs> but I was like, and I was in such a dark place. I was, I was literally considering, um, taking my life. I was done. A lot of bad things had happened. I didn't think that they were fair and it sounds bad. Like I have this daughter, you can't kill yourself. And I know that's true, but I, um, I was in this wretched place and I stumbled across a Jordan Peterson um, lecture and I listened to it. And had I not, like, and this is 100% true, had I not, I would have, there's, I believe that I wouldn't be here today. Um, and so since November, not this last one, the, the prior, um, had I not done that, I, he saved my life, man. Jordan Peterson saved my life. And he's from Canada. That's why it's so cool. And if I could meet anybody, or have the opportunity to have a conversation with anybody, like a real conversation, not like a quick, how you doing thing. Mm -hmm. The greatest gift I could ever experience would be able to sit down and talk with him. That'd be cool. That'd be the the dream come true, man. His, yeah, he goes deep. Yeah, I'll bite people that that talk shit about him because I believe it's so unfortunate that people don't hear what he's saying. They put their, their feelings behind their interpretation of what he's saying. All he's doing is telling the truth. 